Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Psychocinematic. Today, I have a special guest, and he is Jeff Ryan. He directed, was one of the main characters of, and he co-wrote and maybe even produced. I'm not 100% sure on that part. Mean-spirited. And uh, yeah, welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, because I got to say, what made me really like pull the trigger on asking you if you want to come on was I dreamt about having a podcast with you. <laughs> it, it sounds <laughs> it weird, but in my dream, I was just super interested about the director, writer, actor dynamic. Uh, cause I, I don't think I've really, um, pondered much of that. Cause normally it's like a writer director or a director actor, but you know, when you're kind of doing all three of those things, um, and maybe you can elaborate if you, if you did more, cause I didn't check, you know, like who produced it and, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. I guess the only credit I probably, I don't take the credit. So I, it kind of is stupid for me to mention it, but I, I also edited the film. Um, mm. it's edited by Bryce Levy, which is my character in the movie. Mm. Um, and that was just more like a joke that we thought was funny and kind of a perspective that we had going into making the movie was that the movie was kind of made from perspective of my character mm -hmm. and I usually don't take an editing credit on my movies because I just feel like you know my name's there enough I don't really need to do that and also I'm not trying to get hired as an editor necessarily right um, but it's just one of those things when you make an indie film you gotta kind of do everything and you know every indie director produces to some extent but yeah the credit for producing goes straight to um, my co-writer on the project Joe Adams and uh, a dear friend of mine, Owen Williams, who the two of them kind of just headed up the whole production. So with all those roles that you're playing, do you see yourself as like the the director or do you see yourself like when you just identify as yourself, are, are you the actor? Like, is there one that you aspire to be more? I mean, I moved to New York out of college to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And I think like a lot of actors, I studied I didn't study film in college. I just took film classes and made a bunch of movies to kind of put myself in them. And I love the process of that. And I loved more than anything. I think maybe I'm just like a neurotic control freak who loved the idea of being able to control the roles that I was able to put on screen. And I kept going in or being told that I should play only a certain type of character. And I just can't play the character that I think people probably wanted me to play when I first moved to New York or you know I can just not as well as other people and I you know I grew up loving Jim Carrey and like still to this day The Mask is like one of my favorite movies and I personally just wanted to kind of put that on screen but I wasn't really given those opportunities I was only given like the boyfriend or the mm -hmm. you know the the jock but I didn't get to play like the douchey jock which is way more fun mm -hmm. um, it was always like just like trying to be cool when I don't really vibe with that too much. Um, but I would actually say I'm probably more of a director now just because I've had like a few TV things for acting, but I just never really, you know, I knocked on the door for so long and I still love it so much. I would love the opportunity to act in movies and TV shows and things like that. It's just, I tried for so long and it was kind of like weird timing of things, but I just, you know, no agent, no manager ever wanted to sign me. It was always just kind of struggling on that front and so I just love the process of directing and I think when you meet other people who make movies or understand what goes into making movies um it's like a different community that I just like I love so much and I just uh 
yeah, I love this process. It's exhausting and tiring and really depressing <laughs> 99% of the time, but it's, uh, it's, you know, moments like this or like someone who watches the movie and likes it, it kind of makes it all worth it. And, um, yeah, I think that's probably why I would say director okay. writer by you have to sometimes. But yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. No. Well, so I guess that's, uh, kind of the, the reason I, even dreamt about that in the first place is because I've been getting a lot more into listening to audiobooks and stuff like that. And I'm starting to really appreciate, um, just the storytelling of everything. Like, cause obviously I knew storytelling was important for movies. And then, you know, with this podcast, you know, really digging into these films and just seeing all the little intricacies that people have put in there. And I feel like a lot of it ends up getting, or should be credited to the writer, but maybe there's also like a hand in hand thing with like the director and the DP and stuff like that. And so I was wondering, cause like, I just feel like if you wrote something that's just really good, the, the person who would have the most pride in that would be the writer. Cause it's like, this was me. Like I, I thought of all of this, but then at the end of the day yeah. with like, uh, you know, when, when you make a movie, other people are throwing their, hat into the ring, you know, like you could have written something amazing, but if the director's not executing what your vision was, that's fine because it should be, you know, at the end of the day, I think the director's vision for it all. And that's why they're directing. But, um, it's just, I, I was very curious about that whole aspect. Do, do you take pride in the writing thing or are you just like, think of me as that director? No, I, I, I do. I mean, I totally, I, I love everything you just said, because I think it's, it's one of the more true, things about the creative process especially with with movies it's so interesting because it's like you start with the script and it's almost if you write and direct you kind of get more creative control than the stereotypical writer in hollywood for instance mm -hmm. but it's like writing is really fun for one reason it's not like screenplays are fun to read you know a novel is more fun to read screenplays are like you kind of have to make it fun to read in a very short fragmenty sort of way and I read a lot of Shane Black's screenplays, who he wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and uh, the other guys, or no, the nice guys. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the nice guys. Um, and I think like all of Lethal Weapon movies. Okay. But his screenplays have a really, he talks about it in a way where it's like, it should be as if I'm at a bar with you telling you a story, and that's how it should read down the page. So it's like, it shouldn't read like a novel or anything like that. And it's a long-winded way of saying just like I think style in writing is very important because it also helps determine the direction and the tone for the movie. Mm -hmm. But I I do take a lot of pride in the writing to the point where like you know we hate hangers, which is like one word on a second sentence that like just causes your eye to like go there for a second. And like Joe and myself were just neurotic with the script and just kind of rewrote every single sentence every single time to try and make it as read down the page as possible gotcha and to make it enjoyable to read mm -hmm. and i think because this is the most collaborative art form there is maybe like you start with that writing process and this is the point i was long-winded way of saying was just writing is fun because you have your vision on paper and then from that point on everyone's hand in the pot is just trying to take it away from you mm. And it's kind of your job to keep what was like the core idea in the forefront of your mind and not let the creative process with 30 to 100 people coming in, you know, uh, derail it too much. Right. And that's why they always say, like, you know, a great script can be a good movie, 
but like a good script can never be a great movie mm-hmm. in that. And I think for me, you know, it's like I had a co-writer and then I kind of have to put on a different hat and kind of take the writing part of myself out of the picture to direct it mm-hmm. because I do think directing is not so much like my vision and my storyboards on screen. There's that part of it. But then there's also like, how do you manage 40 relationships on set and not have this thing like go up in flames? And I'd say that's the hardest part of the right. job. Not the, you know, the creative part is cool. It's fun. It's, but it's when you're on set, it's like the least creative part of it, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So you you were talking about how this is super exhausting, you know, like creating it and, you know, it's almost depressing. Uh, I was thinking about that too. Like, do you get nervous before you release a film? Uh, like what people are going to say, like how you're going to react to potentially negative reviews, whether or not anyone's going to watch it, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think this is my third movie mm-hmm. and it like never gets easier. And at a certain point you stop reading it. But like when you first release it, you want to know because it's kind of when you screen it for anyone, even if they're remotely close to you or in person and you're there, you're kind of, you're going to be given like a softer version of what people think about it, no matter what. And I think with comedy, it's a little easier because you can kind of tell when you're in an audience with someone, if people are laughing and laughter is pretty hard to fake. And like when you're in a crowd with like a non-funny movie, people are usually like, ha ha ha. And it's not great. Um, Watching with a live audience is great because you squirm the whole time, but you kind of hear what parts are funny for people and what parts aren't. And then, you know, you'll go on Letterboxd later that day and be like, wow, everyone hates this movie. And <laughs> damn, like half star piece of crap, college students can't make films type thing. Yeah. And you're like, I've never rated anyone a half star and I've watched some very bad movies. So it's <laughs> like, I think people are just kind of out to, you know, throw shade and it does it sucks it's like it's hard to put your sweat equity into something for two years and then have people kind of trash it within minutes and but at the same time that's like part of it you just got to kind of roll with the punches and yeah you know be depressed for a little bit when it's (laughs) negative and then you know um move on yeah i will say though negative reviews are not always bad if they're like if people can critique it honestly and fairly i i find it helpful sometimes because it's like yeah of course like i don't have the resources that other people do and i would have loved to do that and have more time to do that but again it's kind of the you know you're on set you don't you can't make every choice what you want Mm -hmm. because you have people working for half the rate and you have to kind of take this 40 group of people into this like yes and Mm -hmm. mentality i guess so speaking of resources how do you guys go about you know raising a budget for a film like this yeah i mean this one was weird because it was kind of a covid movie Mm -hmm. where we were going to work on a different film pre-covid and then covid happened and we were like okay well feels silly to make a movie where there's like concert scenes and things like that so let's maybe try and make something a little more secluded and like a house in the woods Mm -hmm. cliche. Um, And then the budget for this one was kind of, it was kind of a crazy story. Actually, one of our, one of our like friends and close collaborators put a little bit of money in and then he put it into uh, crypto unbeknownst to like (laughs) us, Mm -hmm. the core team. And then overnight it like tripled and then he pulled it out and he was like, Hey, that money just, turned to like three times that wow. we were like okay please don't put it back in <laughs> and then um yeah so that was a portion of it and then we kind of just did like an email campaign with everyone and anyone we knew 
looking for uh, people to invest in the movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, the main selling point, I think, for a lot of people, because that's like the question everyone's going to always have with indie film is how do you raise the money? Um, and I think everyone wants like the cool answer of like, you know, I pitched to this production company and they said yes. And like, it's just usually not like that. It's usually, you know, some crowdfunding some meeting someone you know or asking around if they know anyone and the main selling point is kind of uh you can you can write off your whole investment on the year you make your movie and that's usually people with a lot of liquid money that want to like lower their income for the year you can basically you know someone writes you a check for five hundred thousand dollars because they sold their business and they have millions of dollars uh the year of production is always a year of a loss mm -hmm for indie film traditionally because you're spending that budget and therefore you can issue them something called a K1 which would uh, allow them to offset their entire investment mm. against their income. Gotcha. So I didn't even think person, about If you're an indie taxes. filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's I'd say it's the number one selling point cuz wow. traditionally you make you lose money mm -hmm. on investing in movies. We've made money twice. Nice. So this is our third one. We'll see if we make money. Yeah. But um yeah, you usually have to be pretty upfront with people and be like, yeah, this is extremely risky, but mm -hmm. it's super fun. You get to be a part of like a creative process and you can write off, you know, so that kind of lowers your risk. If you don't mind me asking, and that's, <laughs> it's fine if you don't want to, uh, like what was the overall budget for this film? Yeah, I mean, I can I can give you a range. Yeah. It's sub 1 million and more than 100,000. Gotcha. And I'll give you that range just because... Um, off the record, I would happily tell you mm -hmm. details. It's more just, you know, we're still selling the movie and we're still negotiating deals with streamers and stuff like that. So we're trying to, you know. So the main reason I ask is because uh, I recently went and saw that Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey movie and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And it seems like a lot of people hate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's funny because uh, I make a TikTok about... Uh, you know, like how really the only thing I liked about the movie was the premise. And I, I joke that people on TikTok will argue like against you no matter what. Like, I mean, you could be praising like a, an evil person. They'll, they'll still come to the defense of the evil person. Everyone's like, well, what'd you expect? And then, which I never said I didn't expect it to be bad. I just, people were saying with a low budget, of course it's going to be bad. And I, I was thinking, I was like, well, I've seen plenty of indie films that are not bad. And I started oh, thinking sure. about your guys' film where I'm like, ah, it's, it just makes me so mad because it's like there was no reason it needed to be bad. Even though their budget was supposedly a hundred grand, they, like, I mean, they could have easily just tweaked the story a little bit and it would have been way better. Or they could have, uh, like, because I understand there's a, there's a realm for the, the horror uh, comedy, but also like kind of cheesy horror. And, but this like yeah, yeah. missed that mark. It just completely missed that target. And like, you know, cause the theater was full. And like you said, you know, when you're doing something like that, uh, you can tell when people are laughing for real. I heard, I sat next to the, basically the only person who laughed the entire movie. <laughs> and so I'm just like, this wasn't intentional. It shouldn't intentionally be bad. You know, like there's a thing where it can be like so bad that it's good, but it missed that mark. And it makes me mad that people are like forgiving it just because of the budget. I'm just like, you could have still made it good. Yeah, I feel like the, the budget argument is interesting because it's either either helps you or hurts you. Mm -hmm. And it's never, it's always going to be a split because 
I mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I, I won't, you know, I can't necessarily say an opinion on it. Right. But I think from afar, from like hearing the concept of it, I remember press a year ago because when it went into the public domain, it was almost like they were ready. Mm. And I think it was extremely brilliant of them. Whether the movie is good or bad, it's making money. Mm-hmm. And from a business perspective, it was brilliant. Yeah. Because if they didn't spend a lot of money, I guarantee they were making so much money on this movie mm. because the first thing to come out with Winnie Pooh in the public domain is a slasher is just like the funniest <laughs> pitch. And it just, right. it works on like a a level where people want to go see it because it's interesting. And I think, you know, it's, there's a movie that came out this year that I have not seen yet. Um, but a friend of mine was a EP on it and it's called Skin and Marink. I've and heard of that one. I haven't watched it. Yeah. I haven't watched it either. And I've, I know it's like very hit or miss with people, but I mean, the movie was made for something like 20 grand and it's, it's making millions of dollars. Wow. And it's just like, a it's a great example to me of like, you know, uh, someone who just hustled and got their movie made and you kind of never know if it's going to relate with some people and you can't please everyone, but they took a swing in a direction and it definitely is paying off. So I think that's right. I've heard Winnie the Pooh, like their budget was a hundred grand and they made 2 million like on the opening night, which is, you know, great for them. I just wish that, yeah, you know, it was a little bit better, but they did. I, I don't know how they did this, but there was a custom movie ticket amount. Like I paid $17 to see it. And the theater that I go to, Huh. is normally 1275. And so I was just like, what? And so I guess those numbers are a little inflated based on cost if it's around the, you know, if it's like that everywhere, yeah. but and there's also like a print and advertising budget they don't mention. It's like the production was probably 100 grand right. and they probably spent, you know, a few hundred grand putting the movie in theaters everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It. So uh, getting your movie out there cuz I I don't know how this whole process works like if you wanted to get it on Amazon, but like part of their prime service. So people watch it for free. Is that something that you have to like apply for and get approved for? Or is that like a complete choice? So it kind of breaks down into windows mm-hmm. and I don't mind answering any of these questions too. Cause I think it's very interesting and I didn't know it until going through it myself because it's not very clear. And I don't think anyone really teaches people like this when you're making movies, mm-hmm. but um, I fortunately have had like a distributor who's very nice and kind of explains you know, it's like the whole Michael Scott, like explain it to me again, like I'm five. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, he's, he's great and he always does, but essentially it breaks down into windows. So like if you're going to release a movie on demand, it's usually, it breaks down to what they call like TVOD window, transactional video on demand. And so that's usually like the first window of the year. And that's why we released in February is we're taking advantage of the first window. And then there's your movies svod window which is your streaming video on demand so you know the hulu shutter any of those and usually you'll sell your movie for a flat fee for a period of time um either exclusive non-exclusive um and then originals is a different thing that usually would be like you pitch for originals first and then you kind of skip the tvod right window okay um and then the prime on demand and things like that or Tubi for mm. a lot of people would be uh what they call avod so advertising video on demand where you get ads and the filmmaker receives revenue based on the ads mm-hmm. um and that's nowadays that's what people make the most amount of money for indie films right cuz streamers traditionally pay very little and you know there's international sales that's another different conversation of 
how that works. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, usually AVOD is the last one you go to because when your movie's early, it's kind of the only reason people will buy or rent it. Mm-hmm. It's because it's new. It's pretty hard to get people to buy or rent anything these days. Right. When you have so many choices everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's usually how it kind of goes. And then there's lots of other rights you can sell off and mm-hmm. do. Um, but so Prime, like our movie will go to a streamer, you know, hopefully in a few months. Okay. And then it's, I don't know, six months after that, maybe we won't be exclusive to that anymore. I don't know exactly what the deal would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd probably go to a place like Peacock or Tubi. And, nice. Because um, it seems like a lot of people make most of their money that way. Gotcha. These days. Well, that's cool. And it's kind of cool that, you know, now that it's made, it gets to live forever, you know, and you could potentially, you know, be making money off of it forever, you know, as long as people are watching. So yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, my first movie came out five years ago. It, it's now made so much money in the past quarter. That's awesome. And it's just being somehow watched a lot now, five years later. Yeah. So that's crazy. It's just wild how that happens. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's almost, uh, it's, it's like if you were making a viral video or something, it's like, there's no rhyme or reason why that one decided to, you know, go or when it decided to go, but it just did. Yeah. Yeah, The algorithm's like, all right, you've suffered enough. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Um, so your other movies, uh, I heard you say you've got a comedy is comedy your uh, favorite genre or is it, would it be horror or something else that you haven't even made yet? You know, it's like, I hate to, this is like so embarrassing for myself, but the comedy a hundred percent. I think everything I do probably will have some sort of comedy aspect just because that's how I, the movies I grew up watching. It's my favorite genre. And I think it's, you know, whether someone finds my movies funny or not, I think it's something that I probably have more of a, like a a nag for than other forms of the genre. I think my biggest criticism for this movie would either for people watching it would be like, oh, it's not scary or oh, it's not funny. And again, very subjective mm-hmm. things in those spaces. So it's like, you know, it's scary for some people, it's not scary for others. And I understand both sides of those conversations. Right. Um but yeah, I think the most of it will be comedy. I would love to make a straight horror at some point, but I like I guess the thing I'm embarrassed of mentioning is like I feel like as of this movie coming out and finishing it, I've become like an enormous horror fan and mm-hmm. just like nonstop watching horror. Where before it, I've always kind of here and there watched horror, and that's probably why my movies aren't super scary because I like horror comedies more than horror mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and now that I've watched like I don't know like 150 horror movies in the past like three months, I'm not scared by a lot. Yeah. Anymore, so maybe it's just you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. What are your top three horror movies? And did any of those influence mean spirited? Oh man, such a tough question. Cause it's, it's always like rotating. And every time I mention like a top three or top five, I have to like be like, but also like honorable mention. Mm -hmm. I know this one doesn't count. Well, I guess I'll say the exorcist first. Cause I, I love that movie. I watch it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. it's the movie that like scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Uh, I saw it when I was like 12, I think. And that like, you know, her little voice is like <laughs> still rings in my head. Uh, um, yeah. but the exorcist I, I love and I love it because it's just, you know, it is a horror movie, but it's like so much more 
than that. And it's just like beautiful filmmaking. And um, I watched that a few times for this. Um, I'll give you my top three. And then there's more movies that influence the movie that are not like top movies of mine. Mm -hmm. But um, I really love The Fog. Uh, John Carpenter's The Fog. And I'm just going to put that with The Thing together Mm -hmm. because I equally love them both. And I think part of it is just like the music and the the like aesthetic it gives. It just kind of puts me in like a a wonderful mood when I watch those movies, and I could watch them all the time, and I don't get sick of them. Well, I was gonna say I haven't I haven't watched The Fog. Um, I, oh, I, I love it. Put it's that so on good. my list. It's kind of it's same like I I mean John Carpenter does all the music, obviously same with Halloween, but mm. I I just love the music, and I think the music is something that you see a lot of movies today try and emulate. Because mm-hmm. it kind of is this repetitive, almost like droney. It just kind of like puts you at ease. Similar like the thing. The thing kind of just keeps the tension building throughout. And same with Halloween and The Fog. My third one's not really a horror movie, but it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. And I kind of always include it is uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Yeah. And I watch it at least three times a month, maybe more. Dang. Uh, so yeah, there's two movies I movie watch like crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Michael Clayton is the other movie I watch a lot. Not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sounds of the Lambs, I just think is like it's close to a perfect movie. It's like top to bottom, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when like music, coloring, sound, acting, like visual aesthetics, when they all work together in sync for a movie. I think it's like when, you know, the movie kind of soars to another level for me. And right. to me, that one does it better than most. Mm-hmm. Also, Anthony Hopkins's performance is just like next it's level. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, those are, and then the movies that like influenced this the most are probably, um, I watched probably a ton of found footage movies just to kind of, mm-hmm. I just want to see, not like to really copy any of them or take from, because I just wanted to kind of try and have a different aesthetic for the most part, you know, maybe to our demise a little bit, but um, I watched a lot of found footage movies just to kind of see. And the ones that kind of repeated were just, um, I really loved Creep. I thought that one was really interesting and like a I fun seen that one. on it. Um, Creep and Creep 2, I thought were really good. And really great examples of doing movie for low money and making it really freaky with, um, with just good acting and like mm-hmm. minor kind of, you know, scares and things like that that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we watched a lot of like Chronicle, which obviously is like a huge budget action movie, mm-hmm. but, um, and then, uh, also just to see like the mistakes they make, which is really actually exciting because when you make a found footage movie like this, where like you're, you know, the camera in the movie is obviously a prop camera mm-hmm. and we're filming on like a, a red, but the camera they're holding, the hardest part is trying to match your different angles with a found footage movie because it theoretically has to be coming from a character's perspective at all times. And right. you watch something like Cloverfield or Chronicle and half the time, you know, they'll have a two shot, like the camera pointing at one character and the other camera's pointing at another character. And, uh, you know, the reverse cut, the camera's like facing the other direction because the actor I was watching out for that stuff, <laughs> um, which I hope you didn't find too many because I tried very hard to not. At the time when it finally hit my head, I was like, wait, is this person actually 
filming. It was towards the end, like during like the, the fire scene. I, I don't think I actually caught anything. Um, but then I started becoming aware because, uh, it was, you know, when a few of the characters are now possessed and, uh, I think Nikki has the camera. I don't know. And I was like, wait, okay, now I gotta, I gotta really be aware about these camera angles. Cause you know, they could be cheating. I don't know. <laughs> I, there was one, there's one cheat that I think you actually mentioned in your YouTube cover of it. Um, which is like an iPhone looking in the bathroom because technically both cameras are down by the fire. And then there's a third angle upstairs, which is not established earlier on. And we literally had the conversation. We're like, no one's going to notice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much of that stuff in movies that like, no, no one will know. Yeah. Most. Um, <laughs> most. And yeah, then we really tried hard not to do security footage. That was like our, our one yeah. rule. Cause I just, I feel like every possession movie, always does like a paranormal activity. Like we're going to set up security cameras in the mm-hmm. corner of the room, which can be done well. And I think uh, if you haven't seen Deadstream on Shutter, it's, they have just like a, such a cool creative take on it. And I think uh, okay. the movie's awesome. I really, I really do want to shout out that movie because they came out like a month before us. Mm-hmm. And sadly, everyone compares our movie to it, but the movie oh, really? yeah, it's very similar to ours, but it's, I think different. And I think they just do a killer job with it. Yeah, I guess the only thing close, I guess, to the security w- look would be the dash cam. But, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't think I mean, unless you're watching like a cop movie, like no one really does dash cam. So that's, that's kind of new. <laughs> and also no one really would have a dash cam. Mm. Like, I don't know, going in their car. I don't know if that actually yeah. makes sense. We looked into it at one point. I forgot. <laughs> unless you're like an Uber driver or something. Yeah. Just doesn't <laughs> just doesn't just turn recording the house at all times. Yeah. Right. I, I I wanted to make sure I ask. I'm going to say it now before I forget. Uh did you guys actually crack an egg into the actor's mouth who played Dew? We did. And Ugh. he was not a fan of it and so right before he did it, I said, "Well, I will do it first to show you that whatever." And so he cracked an egg into my mouth before I was able to <laughs> ask him to crack one. Uh, and it's disgusting. Yeah. Cuz I was like if this isn't an actual egg, it is so convincingly like, you know, like I, I can't believe they hollowed something out and made something that looks like egg. Yeah. I yeah. shouldn't have done it. Definitely should not have done it. <laughs> Luckily, Will, who plays Do, is like one of my close, close friends. So I can, mm. you know, he can hit me later and be upset <laughs> with me. But I was going to ask how you casted this film. Are they all people, you know, as friends or did you go through like a whole audition process? Um, Weirdly enough, so actually, this is probably the closest I've come to doing more of a traditional audition process. Um, my first two movies were mostly friends, and most of that comes down to when you just don't have a ton of money. It's mm-hmm. it's more costly to find people and do that, and you don't know if someone's going to be cool to work with and all those things. Right. Um, this one, two of the cast members were my close, close friends. The girl who plays Nikki. Michelle mm-hmm. Vientimila, she's a very close friend of mine, and she was in my last movie as well. Um, and Will Martin was in my first movie, and he's a comedian, and just so funny. Like, I mean, he just, mm-hmm. you know, some people will hate his character, and that's totally fine, because he has really a lot to deal with. But he himself is like the sweetest guy in the world, and would never act or say any of the things that he does in the movie. And Right. He just brings it to life in a really fun way. And then the main character, I didn't know before this. Now I would consider him a very close friend, but he was kind of 
I saw him in a movie called Beast Beast, which the guy who plays Tom is also in. And when I saw the movie, I immediately sent it to Joe. I was like, I think this dude has to be our Andy. And he watched it and immediately was like, yes. Like, and so we got on a call with him and kind of made it happen. And then um, weirdly enough, my co-writer, Joe, uh, there's a girl in the movie called Joey, who's uh, got curly hair. Mm. In the movie, and she went to college for a year with my co-writer, but then also grew up in the same town as our lead actor. Didn't know they all knew each other. And then their roommate was michelle's best friend it was like this weird intertwining of like yeah that's crazy since you've done multiple uh indie films what would be like an actionable step or steps if there are filmmakers out there who don't live next to new york or la like to get something like this made like how can they go about making their own i think if you are someone who aspires to do to make movies if you look up how to you know, advice from people, everyone's going to say, go do it. And like a lot of people in like the older generation will say it's easier than ever now. Like everyone's got a camera on their phone, just go out and make a movie. And like the mm-hmm. thing no one ever says is like, yeah, that's true. But like literally because of that, it is so much harder to break into this industry where sure back in the day, if you got your movie made, it was a lot harder to get it made. But once you got it made, you were competing with, you know, say hundred thousand. Now you're competing with like 10 million people doing Mm -hmm. the same damn thing so it's like i think make your movie anywhere but new york or la because it's expensive to make movies in new york it's expensive to make movies in la and honestly being there doesn't open doors like you think it would Mm -hmm. maybe being in la if you're like surrounded by you know people at parties and stuff like that and you have friends it's a better way to meet actors and meet people who might help get your movie seen but they're not going to get your movie made so i think Mm -hmm. It is a cliche to go out and make a movie, but I think really what it is is look at the resources you have at your disposal and think, okay, I I have an iPhone or, you know, I can rent a camera for, you know, I don't know, a few hundred dollars for two weeks. What's a movie that makes sense with the resources I have? You can't, you know, it is cliche advice to give, but it's like you can't set your movie in space and try and make it with you know, twenty thousand dollars is just not smart. You can and no watch VFX movies budget. like, yeah, exactly. Like watch a movie like Skinnerink. Watch a movie like, you know, The Puffy Chair, or a lot of, or watch Mark Duplass's South by Southwest keynote where he talks about, you know, how to make the Calvary isn't coming is what it's called. It's a great piece of advice that holds up today. Um, but I think you just get together with your friends. Don't worry about famous people being in it. Your first few movies are better off just being made. Because once you kind of make a feature and you submit it around, it won't do magical things unless you're really lucky. Um, but it'll open doors that you don't really expect to have conversations to get your next one made with a little mm-hmm. bit more resources. And um, yeah, it's always a grind. And I promise you, it will never get easier. And it's not like you make one, the door is now open. You make two, the door is now open. Like I've made three in the door. Like we are making a movie this fall our fourth one and it is still grueling and exhausting to get it made so it's just Mm -hmm. you know you just got to keep hustling and enjoy it because it's a long ride and you kind of kind of have to enjoy parts of the process to keep going i think i want to ask you about this uh upcoming film but hearing you say all that stuff makes me (laughs) it, it makes me feel guilty for even like 
for like reviewing movies because it's just so much work like by so many people that's why i try and be super uh like as polite but also you know i gotta be like honest at the same time you know like the only like even with winnie the pooh that i didn't like i was trying to you know like in the full length podcast i was you know like trying to be polite about it because I, I know people like you know worked hard on it totally like, just because it didn't turn out doesn't mean that you know like they were phoning it in the whole time um yeah. but yeah so this upcoming film i wanted to ask you if you had anything in the works um is it another horror comedy anything you can it's share with a, us? a noir comedy mm. called mooch um and it's based on true story the true story is not like super exciting but basically <laughs> It's not cocaine I, bear. <laughs> no, it's not cocaine bear, which I actually heard is awesome. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, I just to see went now. and saw it. It's cool. Oh, you liked it? Mm-hmm. Oh, see, that's awesome. I the trailer made me think it's gonna be the dumbest movie ever. And it's pretty dumb, it's awesome. but <laughs> it doesn't follow the true story very well. But uh okay. <laughs> apparently the true story is actually kind of boring. It's just surprising. But yeah. But I I mean, yeah, everyone I've seen like post about it seems sounds like it's awesome. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, the new movie is called Mooch. It's Basically, if you took every part of me growing up that's like horrible and like the worst versions of myself, it's kind of I made a main character to apologize to the world for the mooch that I've been for 32 years of existence. Gotcha. And told in kind of a um, a Raymond Chandler esque sort of novel in like the style of a Big Lebowski. Um, so it's basically like a 32 year old caddy uh, falls into like a crime job with uh, an Italian mob boss mm-hmm. and it's not so mob centric it's more like you know this mooch of a person kind of gets caught up with the wrong people in New Jersey and ends up destroying his life nice um, so, but it's sounds very fun. good it's very funny um, yeah I'm really so excited you guys have it. you guys have just been working on like the pre-production side of things or are you guys already shooting no no we were so we were actually going to shoot uh, the first week of April and mm-hmm. I asked everyone to push it to the fall because I just was so busy <laughs> not with like fun things I just have so much work stuff to get done now and the releasing of Mean Spirited just took so much time that I was only like three-fourths of the way done storyboarding and I'm also playing the lead character in it so it's like I mm-hmm. just don't have time to memorize and um, so I asked to push to the fall and we have a really this time we're actually doing like a traditional casting. We have like a like an awesome casting director who is basically just putting out offers to different actors and um nice. Yeah, it's a really it's a fun process. It's just it's a much bigger scale of a movie and it's a lot bigger of a cast, it's a lot bigger of a budget and um yeah, it's just a little more intimidating. And yeah, you know, nothing changes. You know, you make a movie yeah. for ten thousand dollars or you know a million dollars it doesn't really change it's just kind of more people to deal with does it feel like uh your trajectory of movies like they're getting bigger and harder to make like you know just more on the line you know more moving pieces yeah i mean i i miss my first movie my first movie i'll i'll tell you anything you want to know about it but we made it for like nine thousand dollars or I think it was like total everything was like $13,000 and it's a mockumentary. So it kind of fits the budget and it looks like an episode of the office. Is this one and, youth men? Yeah. Um, okay. And that one's on Peacock. Please watch it. People doing very well right Check now. Check it so out on Peacock. Keep watching it. Um, 
but I love that movie and I none of us knew what we were doing. I was taping laughs to people's shirts in all the wrong ways and mm-hmm. you know, we were trying to figure it out as we went. I kind of missed that aspect of making movies because it felt fun. Like, you know, you like see it something over there you want to go film and try something you can just turn and do it you don't have to you know tell art actually we're going to go over here and do this thing and they're like well we didn't stage over there so no you're not and Mm -hmm. i think what we've tried to do it like our little group of indie filmmaker team is we're trying to make movies like our next one mooch at a bigger level with bigger actors because you need those to help you know finances and help get you notoriety from different press and festivals and things like that. But I think we're actually going to kind of go back to also once a year trying to do like a $10,000 movie mockumentary that just is like, yeah. if it sucks, no one will see it. And if it's fun, then we'll release it. And mm-hmm. um, just to kind of itch both sides of it, I guess. Yeah. And you know, it could help keep the passion alive. Like if it's that yeah. grueling that you might just, you know, become burnout and you want to take like a three year hiatus or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, it's a, uh, it, it, exactly. I think that's, you said it perfectly. It's, um, it's just a, it's a grind. And I think, um, I also think you just kind of want to work with people that you like. And I think mm. having a good team around you that kind of wants to make movies and wants to have fun while doing it is pretty important. And I've been very fortunate to have a group of friends that really enjoys doing it and works hard doing it. Right. Um, but yeah, I will say like the the bigger the movies have been getting bigger, um, but it always never feels big enough. And I know people say that mm. and it's cliche, but when you're kind of going through it, you're like, man, it really isn't big enough. You're just compromising every step of the way. So while you're uh, you know making all these films, are you still open to like acting or you know doing something else in like someone else's film, or are you solely focused on your own? If something interesting came along, I would, without a doubt, jump and do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I would only be picky for the reason of like, you know, we just had a baby and I'd be like, well, if it doesn't seem like it's like, you know, worth the sacrifice, I probably wouldn't jump ship necessarily, but, um, right. I've always wanted that. That's never been the case. I've never been offered a role as an actor <laughs> and, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, but it's. I also have very little compassion with actors because I've been on this side of it for too long where I'm like, do you understand the work that goes into making this? And then you're going to show mm-hmm. up and not be grateful for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I would kill to be in your position. Yeah. So I'm like the worst person on set with that. That's funny. I was actually thinking in my head that it probably like your communication with actors is probably way better because you are an actor. Like, you know what they would like to hear in terms of direction, that kind of thing. Like something that makes sense gets across to them. I'd be curious to hear from them what it was like working with me, like full transparency from them. I would assume Mm. it's quite the opposite. I would assume I'm probably pretty bad at it. It's just, Mm. I think because I'm an editor as well, I just look for bits in people's performance and I know I can put it together. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's like a, I don't trust that like I can like be like, you're actually feeling this way, this thing, because as an actor also, I'm like, when people come over and start giving me that stuff, I'm like, just tell me what the fuck you want me to do. Like, mm-hmm. don't like, and some people need that. They, they need that to talk through it like that. And they, they want that. And I, that's a skill I need to get better at, but I think, gotcha. um, I definitely direct for the edit 
And I think I kind of rely on that more than I trust trying to get some great performance out of someone. Mm. Um, and I also just trust that actors can do like you're hiring them for their skills. Like I don't really need to like handhold you, you know, mm-hmm. especially in film and theater. I feel like maybe it's a little more nuanced and you can kind of be like, you're not hitting this emotional thing right here because that's what it is. But film is really like a, right. a visual medium. So, you know, people like Fincher, I love and like aspire to make a movie anywhere near as good as like something he's ever made. But the, um, you know, the crap he gets for like doing 50 takes, I do understand because you just get people out of their heads and, you know, he's not going to like direct you in 10 takes to do what you want. He just needs you to like stop thinking about it. And mm-hmm. usually people yeah. get like so flustered, but it does make sense. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. This has been awesome. I'm glad to have some insight on the film. It's cool seeing um, or cool hearing rather just like the intricacies of making a film like this and just getting my questions answered about, you know, the whole dynamic of being a director, actor, writer, all that stuff. It just like, you know, conversations like this give me an even greater appreciation for filmmaking in general. And I hope that, uh, you know, those listening can feel the same way too. And I hope they check out your film mean spirited, which you can get on Amazon or voodoo or check out youth men on Peacock. Yeah. Thank you so much. And and thank you honestly for, for having me and, people like yourself it, it really does uh means a lot to filmmakers especially small movies like ours it means a lot for people to watch and take the time so thank you and yeah thank you it's it's been awesome yeah i appreciate you being on here and uh do you want to plug anything like your instagram or anything like that sure but don't expect anything super fun <laughs> um yeah i'm i'm at uh at sign just j-u-s-t jeff ryan and that's pretty much for every social media thing. Um, yeah, shoot me a message if you watch the movie and like it. And yeah, thank you.